Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to verse 39. Romans 8, 35 to verse 39. I'm reading from the easy-to-read version, but you may follow in whichever version you may have. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Can trouble or problems or persecution separate us from his love? If we have no food or clothes or face danger or even death, will that separate us from his love? I mean, as the scripture says, for you, we are in danger of death all the time. People think we are worth no more than sheep to be killed. But in all these troubles, in all these troubles, can you repeat that line? But in all these troubles, we have complete victory through God who has shown us his love for us. Yes, I am sure that nothing can separate, separate us from God's love, not death, life, angels, or ruling spirits. I am sure that nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above, nothing below us, nothing in the whole created world will ever be able to separate us from the love God has shown us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the other scripture that I want us to read is just one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in victory through Christ. God uses us to spread his knowledge everywhere like a sweet-smelling perfume. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in our hearts in Jesus' name. This morning, I want to share quickly and briefly with us on the subject of a victor's mindset. You can look to someone around you and say, you are looking nice. And then tell them the topic, a victor's mindset. Okay, look around to someone else and say, you are a victor. Pastor, you are a victor. (laughs) Okay, now say to yourself, say, I am a victor. Is there anybody by the name of Victor in the house? I actually expect all the hands to be. You just said it now that you're a Victor, apart from the victorious. <laughs> Amen. Now I'm going to start with a short quiz. We read two passages, yes or no? Now, what is common to those two passages? This is not a tricky question. And the first person to speak out the answer that I want. There are multiple correct answers. There are many things that are similar to them. But there is one particular one I have in mind. So whoever wants to say that first will get the gift. Triumph, okay. Victory, okay. Say that again. Trust. 
Victorine, I love that. Wow. Victorine 101. That should be a good message title. Amen. Yes, we are getting there. What's similar to everything we've said is correct. We still know what I'm looking for. Christ. Okay, that's also correct. We still know what I'm looking for. Love. Mm, we can infer that absolutely, but not, not yet what I'm, where I'm going. It's pretty obvious. Don't think too deep. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. What is common to both of them? <laughs> okay, that's also right, one way or the other. But where I'm going is that both of them were written by the same person. <laughs> so I'll keep my gifts to myself. <laughs> Maybe there will be another quiz as we go along. Both of them were written by Paul, yes or no? Am I making that up? Do we know that? Uh -huh. Okay, so we are starting on the same foundation. Both of those scriptures were written by Apostle Paul. And so what I want us to do this morning, or what I'm trusting that God will have us do, is that we want to look at that character, Apostle Paul, and see, I mean, if there's anybody in the Bible that understands victory. Look at what we read in Romans 8. Those are brilliant words. Yes or no? But they are coming out of an overflow of an experience, a life that had seen stuff, a life that had fought battles, a life that had gone through unbearable trauma. I mean, we are joining to Second Corinthians in the Bible study, and we saw right from the very first chapter when he said that there was this issue that came up, this trouble, this pain, whatever details of it were not given. But he said it was so much that they despaired of life itself. But it's the same Paul in the same episode, within a few verses later, that says God leads us in triumph. He leads us in victory in Christ Jesus. There is something about victory that Paul seemed to have mastered. And if we are looking at all of the interesting things that Paul wrote um, in the New Testament, I mean, he wrote like a third, or some would even say almost two-thirds, of the New Testament in terms of the number of books that he wrote. But if we look at all of them, there's a particular book that Paul wrote, wherein we see more than anything else in expressing an un, 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 unspeakable joy, a joy that in spite of the circumstance flows through from what he wrote from chapter one to chapter four. What book is that? Now there's another quiz. What book is that? Paul wrote it. It's just four chapters. From the beginning of it to the end of it, the book speaks of an irrepressible joy. It was a very positive letter. Very interesting. Yes, ma. Colossians. Mm, yeah, Colossians is also positive, but not as exciting as this book I'm talking about in terms of the context in which Paul wrote what he wrote. Another attempt. I'll give you a clue. The book has only four chapters. There are not many letters that Paul wrote that has four chapters. Philippians, thank you so much, sir. So that Ben gets the price. <laughs> Let's put our hands together for him. Thank you, sir. 
Now, Philippians is a very interesting episode. I'm not sure if we've taken Philippians in our Bible study books that I don't think so. Um, but it's a very, very interesting episode in the sense that, on, of course, on the one hand, it was written in prison alongside many other prison letters, about four of them. But the interesting thing about Philippians is in spite of the situation and circumstance in which Paul was writing, he would speak about joy not less than 20 times in those four chapters. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. He, he, he is in prison writing to people that are not in prison, and the one that is in prison is the one that is telling those that are not in prison to rejoice. Chapter 3, verse 1, I would have you do no other thing than to rejoice. I cannot emphasize it enough. It, it was a letter of great joy. He was writing as a victor. There is something that Paul understood that in the next few minutes, we want to kind of at least catch a glimpse of it from those four chapters, four important things that can help us as well as we go on in this journey to be all that God intends for us to be. And the way we're going to approach it is that we want to look at four things that can steal our joy, four things that can steal our victory. When we talk about victory, really, in the kingdom, we're talking about joy. Because the kingdom we are speaking about, Bible says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. If you want to know whether you are living in victory as a Christian, as a believer, Look at how joyful you are in spite of whatever is going on. If you can't, if you can't feel that joy rolling up on your inside, it's, it's a call for you to go back and sink deeper into the victory that you already have. The victory is not negotiable. It's there. Thanks be to God who leads us, who leads us in perpetual victory in Christ Jesus. So we're going to see four things, one from each chapter, that naturally is enough to snuff out your victory, to steal your joy, to steal your victory. But in the case of Paul, he used this very same thing because of a mindset. And so we're going to also look at the mindset for each of those joy thieves, those victory robbers, and see the mindset that was able to make Paul to speak or write the way he wrote in spite of those things. The very first one is circumstances. Circumstances. In chapter one, he began to lay out why he was writing. Of course, the Philippians had been very good to him. They've sent Epaphroditus to bring some good things and money and all that. The kind of prison Paul was in, in this particular time, is not, um, not prison as we know it today. It's house arrest. But the kind of house arrest that it is, is that you'll be chained to a Roman soldier. So you can't go anywhere. You can't go outside. But you get to live at least, quote and unquote, in the comfort of your own home, as the case may be. That was the kind of prison that we're talking about. And don't think that that is, uh, that's bearable. That's bearable. We're just talking in the great track now about how during the pandemic, we were forced to live together as a family again, and people started seeing some other people's true colors that you've been absconding from seeing, hiding under the guise of business. Sister Titi, thank you for that point. Very valid. Let alone when you are chained to a soldier that doesn't have your interest at heart. 
247. So you are sleeping, you are sleeping, change to someone. You are working, you are working, change to someone. You want to use the loo, you are using the loo, change to someone. So it's actually not as exciting as it might look when you hear house arrest. It sounds uh, it's cozy, it's not cozy. But that said, he was in prison and the Philippians sent these things to him through Epaphroditus. <laughs> and Paul wanted to write a thank you letter to them. He knew from the message he has gotten from Epaphroditus that these people are really concerned for him. They are wondering, how are you faring over there? What's going on and things? So he wanted them to know. And he was not, he didn't filter the story. He was clear about the fact that it was, on, it was an unpleasant situation. And then to even make the matters worse. The Romans, you know, so this is, the prison is in Rome. And Paul is in Rome. He has planned to come to Rome before. We did a study through Romans for the most part of 2020. We remember that towards the end, he was telling them his plans. Even from the beginning, he needed to apologize for having not come to the Roman church before. And then, you know, towards the end, tell them I'll be back there very soon and things like that. But eventually, that prayer, quote and unquote, was not answered, which is part of the circumstance that we're talking about. He had planned to go to Rome, but now he's in Rome not to preach. He's in Rome as a prisoner. And the Roman believers were divided. Not all of them were supportive. For people to be sending gifts from Philippi, when there are other Christians together with you in Rome, shows that something is fishy. They said some of them were preaching with genuine motive. We're going to see all of that. He said, but there are some other people that were preaching and doing the work of ministry in a way to make Paul jealous and pained. Can just imagine the motive. And you will still see the mindset with which he responded to all of that, talking about circumstances. I mean, in life, we can look at that scenario and then bring it home and think to yourself, it's not every time that you feel fly. It's not every time that you get a lot of credits. There are other times you get a lot of debits. And sometimes the debits might even be more than the credits. And there are times you apply for stuff and they don't come through. There are times you pray for this thing or that thing with all the desperation in your heart and there seems to be a delay. There are just all sorts of reasons why we can circumstantially and validly, you know, be unhappy. We have reasons per time to feel joyless. If someone is sleeping around you, you have my permission to tap them. Amen. Amen. But yet, I mean, it's the reality of life. If we lose our joy, the Bible says that if in the day of, of, of warfare, your, your strength is small, if you cannot, um, I've forgotten how exactly it puts it, but if you, in the day of adversity, uh -huh, if you faint in the day of adversity, Bible scholars, God bless you, your strength is small. How do you fail in the day of adversity or faint in the day, in the day of adversity? It's when the adversity overpowers you. It gets you to feel really down. And that's not uh, a problem in and of itself. We all feel down sometimes. Psalm 42, David preached to himself. He said, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Hope in God. So there is something you can do when you are feeling that as someone that has the victor's mindset, there are things you can remind yourself of that will snap you out of that cycle of depression before you go further deeper into it. Now, what was Paul's mindset in this picture that we have painted, especially from what he wrote in chapter one? What you see is a Christ-centered 
Christ-focused mindset. To use pastor's word, a Christocentric mindset. It's all about Christ. His thoughts, his words, his speech is all about Christ. He did not look at Christ or his Christian faith in the light of his circumstance. Rather, he looked at those circumstances in the light of Christ. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Everybody may be calling him a prisoner of Rome, but he is saying that he's a prisoner of Christ. If you are imprisoned by love, to love, there is nothing to be ashamed of. It says in verse 13 of, of chapter 1, my imprisonment has become generally known to be in Christ. Thank you, ma'am. In Christ, that I am a prisoner in God's service and for him. I'm not a prisoner of the emperor. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Very many times he will introduce himself in his epistles by saying, I, Paul, a bond servant of Christ. Bond servant is a slave that has served his time and is free to go, but chooses to remain under the mastership of whoever is his master. And say, I know now I've earned my freedom. In this case, it has been paid for by Christ. But I'm choosing to submit to your lordship, to your master, mastership over my life. In verse 15 to verse 19, I was telling us how that some people were from the, amongst the Roman believers now that were having ulterior motives for doing some of the things they do. It says, some, of course, are preaching because they love me, for they know that the Lord has brought me here to use me to defend the truth. And some preach to make me jealous, thinking that their success will add to my sorrows here in jail. You know, there are some people that do that, not in terms of preaching or anything. They, they flaunt their successes in a way that is meant to prepare you, such that your own agenda, too, is now, let me also get X, Y, Z so that I can pepper them. We are not in a peppering game for, for those that don't understand the colloquial language. To pepper someone is to make the person, to show them, <laughs> to make the person feel like, try me. <laughs> and that's, that's what these people were doing. The person in verse 18, and I love this. But whatever their motive for doing it, the fact remains that the good news about Christ is being preached, and I am glad. I am joyful. I am going to keep on being glad, verse 19, for I know that as you pray for me and as the Holy Spirit helps me, this is all going to turn out for my good. He's not focused on what they were doing to him. He's focused on the fact that whether you are preaching because of pride or you are preaching because of whatever, you want to pepper somebody. At the end of the day, as long as you are saying the gospel, Jesus died. Jesus has resurrected. He has paid the price for your sin. Whatever your motive for saying it, at least Christ is being preached. You and Christ, you have business with your motive. He will judge you about that one. But as far as the gospel is advancing, oh my goodness, I am glad. What a mindset. A Christ-focused, Christ-centered mindset. He was not living to enjoy his circumstances, he was living to serve Jesus, to serve Jesus. And so he refused to look at those circumstances in themselves, but rather in relationship to Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Rather in relationship to Jesus Christ. That's the first, that's chapter one. We saw from chapter one that something that can rob your joy 
is your circumstance. And who does not have a circumstance here? We all do. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we are all living in circumstances. And that circumstance has the potential possibility of robbing your joy. But if you can take on the mindset that is Christ-centered, let's introduce your circumstance to Jesus. Let your circumstance understand that you are, it's not what is shaping you. By, by all means, you are first and foremost the child of the Most High. What does that mean in the face of what you are going through? How can that change the game for you? In chapter two, we see yet another dimension of a factor that can rob people of their victory, and that is people. Say people. Look to your friend, that person that you were saying nice things to, and say people. Everywhere, in the church, in the workplace, in the streets, in the neighborhood, wherever, wherever there are people, there will be things that people do. And we will continue to offend one another. Yes or no? If you give them the permission to do that, they will rob you of your joy. Just as perhaps you have also robbed someone of his or her joy. Yes, now we are also people. Tell yourself, I'm a people. <laughs> No, it's not grammatically correct, but it's good to remind yourself that you are also in this, in this boat, in this WhatsApp group. You can already see that from chapter one, as I was saying, people were part of the circumstance that Paul had. One of those people is the Roman soldier that is tied to him. Another is all these Roman believers that were doing things with the intention of hurting him. How could that even find the expression, for goodness sake, we are supposed to be one in the body of Christ. But that's to show you that people will always be the people. So it again in Corinth. The reason for Second Corinthians is because of the pain he has felt. Where is the pain coming from? People. Some people came into the church as super apostles with letters of recommendations and started saying all sorts of bad things about Paul. The same man that labored for 18 months, planted the church, prayed for them, did vigil, did everything fasted and prayed and did all that, had all the reasons to almost claim them as his property in terms of the investments that he has made spiritually. And some other people came to undo all of that. People, people, people. But again, what is the mindset that we see that Paul used when he was dealing with the issue of people, especially in chapter two of, um, of this episode to the Philippians? It is a self-humbling, others-exalting mindset. What do I mean by that? It says in, in verse 3 of chapter 2, in whatever you do, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. It says be humble and honor others more than yourselves. Honor others more than yourself. One tip that has stayed with me for quite a while ever since I first edit in reading a Christian literature, I can't remember the title of the book, but the man was making an analogy that if you are looking at a group photograph and you are in that group photograph, who do you look at first? Yourself. If you are looking good in that photograph, that photo is beautiful. Even if there is someone else that the person, his eyes was closed when the picture was taken. Or another person that his, his mouth was opened and was looking away when, uh, when they said cheese, the person did not cheese. As long as you are fine in that picture, that picture is what is fine. That's because you are not applying this principle. 
that picture is not fine. If everybody in the picture is not fine. And so since then, whenever I see a group picture, I'm training myself not to steal an ongoing training, not to look for myself first and see how good I'm looking. How good is everybody? Oh, look at Sister Lagbaja. Oh, look at Brother XYZ. How he's looking sharp in that picture. Honor others more than you honor yourself. And then, of course, he moved on in that same chapter two to then give the supreme example of what that could look like in Jesus from verse five down to around verse 11, but I'm just picking three verses. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was that mindset? Who, though he was God, did not demand and claim to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men, and he humbled himself even further, going so far as actually to die a criminal's death on a cross. Recently, I was having Bible study after Bible study with Deacon. Sometimes he does that. He'll just call and throw one random question and we'll talk for a long time about it. And we're chatting about the fact that one can look at what Jesus did on the cross and be like, he's Jesus, he's God. That pain couldn't have been that serious. He's God. He can go through it and not necessarily feel the pain. But again, we tracked our conversation back to, have we ever seen another person that went somewhere to pray and his sweat became blood? It is the depth of the anguish of what he was about to feel. And it's not about the physical pain. It's about the fact that he's going to become sin, not a sinner. He's going to become whatever sin you can think of for everyone that has ever lived and everyone that will ever live and be judged by the Father. For one time in history, the Trinity will be split. The Father and the Spirit will look at the Son and forsake him. And he will cry out on the cross and say, he won't even call him Father. My God, my God. He never calls God God. He calls God his Father. But at that point in time, it was so un unthinkable and unbearable a forsaking that he thought, I can't even dare to call him Father now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that that was where it was going to, and he started reconsidering, if it is possible. Can this cup pass over me? So when the Bible says that he became poor, so that by his poverty we can become, it's not about money. He's God and became man. If Jesus is in Galilee, he's not in Samaria. Yet he's God, and God is supposed to be everywhere. He took on the limitations of what it means to be one of us. And so it's, it's as humbling as humbling can be. And the question is why? He did it because of people. Your place in heaven was more important to him, so to speak, than his place, that he gave up his place so that we can have yours, and then eventually he can be together for all eternity. That's the good news. That's the joy. And so Paul is saying that when we remember that that's the mindset of the one we claim to follow, let that be our mindset as well. Esteeming other people as being more important than ourselves. And the interesting thing is if we all do it, everybody will feel important. I treat Sister Titi like she's the most important person in the world. She treats me like I'm the most important person. At the end of the day, everybody is important. If we are indeed putting that into practice, that's how to be victorious. That's what Paul had in mind. That's, that's the mindset he had. He's able to go through all those things because even the people that were offending him, 
there was still a measure of esteem that he has for them. If not for them as a person, for the life of Christ in them. We saw in 2 Corinthians where it says, we know no man after the flesh. We used to do it, but not again. Because everyone that you see that carries the image of God, there is something of God in them that is worthy of you honoring, worthy of you respecting. So somehow we could say that in chapter one, he was teaching us to put Christ first. And then in chapter two, he's beginning to teach us to put others second. Where does that put us? We are the last. And that's where we should be. That doesn't mean that we will be the last in life. Jesus even said it himself that the last shall be, shall be first. I like how he said it in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11. For everyone who makes himself important will become insignificant. Simple. And of course, the opposite is also true. The man who makes himself insignificant will find himself important. I have to rush now. So the second point in second chapter, we saw that people could rob us of our victory. But the mindset that Paul is putting forward, teaching us about, is the mindset of a self-humbling, others-exalting mindset. The third one in chapter three is about possessions. It's about what you have. The, 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 the conversation in chapter three shifted to what some people were beginning to say to the Philippians, that for you to be truly saved, you have to have this, you have to have that, you have to be circumcised, you have to have this credential. And Paul looked at them and said, if there is anybody that can boast in terms of all these things that you're saying you should have, you should have, you should have, I have them in excess. In fact, I think it's on my slide. Let's just read what it says from a few of the verses, verse 1 to verse 8, but I've only accepted a few verses there. Note how he starts again that section of the letter. Whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. It's still about this joy. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again. Watch out for those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And then he will go on to say, we Christians, we glory in what Christ Jesus has done for us and realize that we are helpless, helpless to save ourselves. From verse 4 to verse 8, or the end of verse 7, he then began to list his own credentials. But if we want to talk in that language, I'm a proper Hebrew. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, not a mixed race. I'm a Pharisee. Pharisees are like the strictest law-abiding Jew you can ever find. And he said, I look at all of those credentials and I count it as rubbish when it comes to the excellency of Christ. So verse 8, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have put aside all these things and I'm counting it worth less than nothing. He's not counting them as nothing. He's counting them as being less than nothing. Some versions say he counts them as dung, as poo, as feces, in order that I can have Christ. In other words, we can jump into that cycle, that rat race of wanting to possess this and wanting to possess that, such that eventually you even discover that you are not possessing the thing, the thing is possessing you. And when you don't have it, it controls how you feel. So I want this iPhone, whatever, and I'm not able to get it. And my not getting an iPhone begins to condition my emotion. But Paul's mindset is that instead of all of this, let's have a salvation appreciating 
and a thanksgiving, a grateful mindset. A mindset that appreciates the value of what we have in Christ. What we have in Christ, like I've always said, is infinitely, infinitely greater than what you lack in life. As I wrap up the last point, worry, chapter four, worry. I mean, it's a popular verse six to verse seven there about be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving make your request known unto God. The point is, I mean, worry is when you start thinking wrong and feeling wrong about the circumstances, about the people, about the possessions, all those things that we've said before. That is where it is going. Circumstances will make you worry. People, they will make you worry. Possessions, they will make you worry when you don't have them or when you have too much and you are wondering how to sleep peacefully before somebody will come and bring a gun and collect them from you. In other words, if we have those three mindsets that we've talked about before, the worry part will be easily sorted. But what was Paul's mindset when it comes to worry? We saw it from Philippians 4, from around verse 5 to 7. And it's about a prayer-believing, a prayer-believing, peace-embracing mindset. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, and I wrap up with that. Keep your gentle nature so that all people will know what it looks like to walk in his footsteps. The Lord is ever present with us, so don't be anxious about things. Instead, pray. Tell your neighbor, pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your request, so talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what has come. And know that the peace of God, a peace that is beyond any and all of our human understanding, that peace will stand watch over your hearts and minds in Jesus, the anointed one. Can I hear your amen? That's, that's where it ends, really. If we can pray and not just random, arbitrary, desperate but guideless prayers praying look at that he said you'd be anxious for nothing but in everything everything that matter that i mean just how many days ago two or three days ago i was um i was meant to go and pick joshua from school sorry that i'm getting into this analogy i'll wrap up with that and it was i was supposed to be there for 305 this was like three o'clock. I started dressing up. Samuel was sleeping. So I wanted to just quickly go and pick him, come back. And then I started looking for the key. Where it was supposed to be, it wasn't there. I started searching everywhere. After I've been five minutes late, I called the school and told them, I can't find the key. They said, don't worry. Whenever you see it, just come. I kept looking. I looked for 45 minutes. Before it don't go mean that, pray about this. It's just key. Okay, Holy Spirit, where is this key? And I felt like I heard nothing. I called my wife to tell her, see, your boy is still, <laughs> still in school. I can't find the key. And as I dropped the call and picked up my jacket, the key was there all along. It's on the dining table. I've looked for 45 minutes for a key that was right there in front of me. That dining table, there's a basket there that I've poured out searched everything inside the basket and still not saw the key. He wants to hear the details about anything and everything. Anything and everything. 
but then you do that prayer with what thanksgiving that's why i call this mindset a prayer believing do you believe in the prayer do you believe that prayer works do you believe that you have a father that is interested in hearing your voice a prayer believing mindset peace embracing when you pray don't start worrying about it. embrace the peace that comes afterwards embrace the peace that comes afterwards let's just bow down our heads as a testimony but i'll I'll, I'll share it next week that would have been happy for such a time as this but our time is gone father god we thank you because you are the god of peace who has the peace of god and you have called us to be victorious it's it's a given we are not fighting for victory we are fighting from victory christ has won it for us but often we slid into worry we slide into things that into anxiety we are asking that you will help us to remember the value that we have in you to remember how precious we are in your eyes that would make you to forsake the privileges of divinity and say, let me become one of them and die to pay for their sins once and for all. We are asking, oh God, that you help us to know that we are precious to you so that your value in our eyes can also skyrocket and we know that we have a precious, priceless father. This is our desire. And as we go into this week, let that peace guard our hearts let that peace let us be chained to that peace the same way the roman soldier guards paul watching to make sure he doesn't misbehave let that peace guard us let it guard our thoughts and our minds and our actions that we may have rest in you to you be all the glory in christ jesus unfailing name i've prayed amen